In the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 20, it says this, Now Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came through it and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas and said, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Happy Easter, y'all. Christ is risen. Wow, we do got some church people up in here. Look at you, big boy. Well, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Awake My Soul, and um, this series may be a bit unorthodox because really we're not going to draw any conclusions about anything as much as we're just kind of going to discuss and contemplate issues that actually dance around some of the big questions that life brings, and today it's faith versus reason. If you were here last week, you know that it's incredibly important to me that I think that we need to think through our faith in a meaningful way. That we actually build our faith from the ground up with our own two hands, so to speak. My parents were both very strong people of faith. My dad still is. He's with us this morning. And uh, I was raised in the church, raised as a pastor's kid, which means a lot to me. But the truth is that for a long time, my faith was really their faith. It wasn't really mine. I, I was... It was like I believed in God because I was raised to believe in God. I went to church because I was raised to go to church. And I think that's true for a lot of us, that our religion is so much a part of our family makeup and culture to the point that we could almost say that if you were raised in India, chances are you would probably be more Hindu than you would be Christian. And that if you were raised in Iraq, chances are you would be a Muslim instead of a Christian. By default, our geography tends to dictate the tradition that we hold to and go through. And so you may think that you're right about this whole Christian faith thing, because how could my mom and dad ever be wrong? But, but could they? In whatever tradition you were raised, the problem is that when we try to live off of the faith of our parents, we soon find out that it's not enough. Because as it turns out, it's not faith at all. It's just empty religion. 
There has to be more to our faith than this is just the way that I was raised. So when I'm not afraid to ask myself the difficult questions and think honestly and face those tough issues and really begin to work through those, then and only then can we begin to create a faith that I build myself, one that I embrace, one that I believe in, and when that happens, we own it, right? It becomes who we are. It drives the decisions that we make, and it drives the people that we become. When we own our faith, it literally changes the way that we live. For those of you who know me, you know that I am a skeptic by nature. And this faith stuff and this Christianity thing does not come naturally for me. In fact, it's been a lot, a lot of work. Which means that there are times, if I'm honest with you about it, that I doubt. And unfortunately, when I doubt, I go big. Man, I, I doubt like the whole enchilada. <laughs> I mean, if God exists, then why didn't he just make everything painfully clear and easy to understand, so obvious? Why does everything have to be so complicated? I mean, if God exists, then why doesn't he just once a year, just once a year, just give a big shout out from the heavens like, hey, I'm still up here. Y'all have a good year now, you hear? I mean, that would be good enough for me, wouldn't it, for you? Just enough. But instead, he is like uncomfortably silent. And so sometimes I doubt this whole thing. What if we got it wrong? What if we just misunderstood what this is all about? What if this Christian story is really just that, just a made-up story? What if everything just comes to an end and there really is nothing more? I mean, you name it, I have doubted it. So what does that mean? Does that make me a bad person? Or does it mean that I'm really not a person of faith or Christian? Does it mean that I'm going to get struck by lightning if I keep thinking that way? So the front row better keep your distance there. No, in fact, I get tired of people thinking that when we become Christians, that we somehow lose our ability to reason, that we somehow lose our intelligence, or that we should just blindly accept everything in faith. Let me tell you something. Faith is anything but blind. I'm in this Christianity thing with my eyes wide open, and I have questioned everything. By its very definition, faith accepts the fact that there are some things that we just don't know. In fact, we'll never know this side of heaven. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. In verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I find this scripture very insightful, not because of just the fact that it has a clear, concise definition of faith, which is awesome. 
But it also contemplates the starting point of faith. Do you hear it in there when it says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Have you ever asked yourself, where does your faith begin? Like, really, what is the foundation of your faith? In my opinion, and this is strictly my opinion, I believe that if you're going to build a faith for yourself that is sustainable, that is to say that will stand the test of time, then there are certain things that you have to decide what it is you believe. And the first foundational belief that we have to make a decision about is that age-old question of, where did we come from? How did it all begin? The point of conflict between religion and science, which is most of the time thought of as being the reason, that conflict is typically found in the idea of evolution versus creation, which is a little intimidating for those of us who don't have scientific brains because there were some really smart people, people smarter than me, who made some theories about the origin of life that were really well thought out. And society has accepted them as true. And if you don't accept their theories, then you're considered to be an unreasonable person who's not very smart. Now, I will admit that the idea of being created by God in the image of God is a little more palatable than the idea that we share a common ancestry with a chimpanzee. So there is that going on in my head. There's a lot going on in my head, let me tell you. But I've listened to many scientists and, again, many very, very smart people on both sides of this argument debate this issue. And every single time, when you get down to the end of it, they all land in the same exact place. When everybody finally gives up their defensive positions and they settle down, they all say the same thing. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know for sure how the world was formed because no one was there and you can't scientifically reproduce it in a lab. So when you say that the world started with a Big Bang, while they can't prove it, I can't refute it. Nor can they disprove that the Big Bang came as a result of God speaking the world into existence. And when he did, bam, he caused isotopes to go bonkers and collide and create this Big Bang that, voila, here's the world. I don't know. They don't know. I can't know. But I can believe. Now, I'm not one of those who believe that science is a bad thing or it's of the devil. In fact, I'm amazed at what science can do and what it is able to prove. Take this last week, for example. My wife decided that the lunar eclipse should become a family event. (laughs) 
and I was tired. I wasn't really up for it. And so she assures me that she's going to set her alarm as just a little ping so that only she can hear it and I can sleep through the whole thing, which was really my intent. 1 a.m. rolls around, and it's like I'm sleeping in a firehouse when the alarm goes off. I sit straight up. She's like bright-eyed and like all happy, like it's 8 in the morning, and says, let's go look at the moon. (laughs) So reluctantly, I get out of bed. I go over to the window, and sure enough, the lunar eclipse was just starting. She goes and gets the kids out of bed, and we have like our own little blood moon party, which, which I have to say was really pretty cool. So thank you, honey, for getting my lazy rear end out of bed. However, here's what amazes me. It amazes me that a scientist can say that the lunar eclipse will happen on such and such a day. And it will start at 1 a.m. Central Time, and you can set your alarm to that, and you can get up and... There it is. It's like right on time. Isn't that incredible? Well, that's probably considered to be the most remedial of all scientific discovery. It still amazes my simple little mind. But while science predicted the exact moments of the lunar eclipse, did science cause it to happen? No. The reason why science is able to predict with such precision is that we live in this incredibly complicated world that is so precise, where everything functions perfectly. I mean, think about it. You have the Earth rotating on its axis at just the right angles, while at the same time orbiting around the sun at the exact distance that we need to be away from the sun so that the sun doesn't reduce the earth to a pile of ash. All the while, the moon orbits around us, and all this stuff is going on at the same time without anybody colliding. And you know, if it gets off just by a little bit, bam, we're done. Like, it's game over. But it doesn't. It, like, works perfectly day in and day out since the very beginning of time. Does that all seem accidental to you? Frederick Hoyle, who was a scientist who was considered to be an expert in the field and the origin of the universe, he abandoned the theory of evolution after looking at this kind of evidence, and he made this very famous statement, which I love. Believing that life could result from chance is like believing a tornado could sweep through a junkyard and the winds could accidentally assemble a fully functioning Boeing 747. (laughs) I love that. We live in a world that has for centuries cultivated the idea that the skeptical person, the person who questions, is always smarter than the one who believes. That the person poking holes is always up on the pedestal and celebrated more than the person who is a person of faith. And so people will look at you and they'll say that your faith is weak because you can't prove it scientifically. And they'll try to poke holes in your faith, but notice they never provide alternative solutions in the affirmative that they themselves can prove. 
Science can't disprove the existence of God any more than I can prove how much I love my kids. Although I give them a heck of a lot of money all the time, and it never stops. Science obviously falls well short of being able to prove anything that they can't see, touch, or hear. And yet, science seems to continually try to butt itself into the business of faith. And faith, by the way, through the church, thinks that it's its job to then strike back and vilify science as if any of them had anything to do with each other. It's beyond me why the church would have an argument of science versus religion. They are not mutually exclusive, and in fact, we really need science. Science may be able to explain our human anatomy, but it will never be able to explain the anatomy of my soul, which is not its job. It's not a bad thing. By definition, science's job is to explain the natural order of things. So when things are supernatural, it's beyond the scope of science. We could sit here and talk about this for an hour, but in the end, there's only one thing that matters to you. When you're faced with the question, What do you believe? So I feel that foundationally, we have to take that first step and decide what it is that we believe about the beginning before we can take the big daddy step in the Christian faith, which is the second foundational belief that we need to grow our faith, which is what brings us all here this morning, I'm guessing, which is this whole notion of somebody being raised from the dead. Got any doubts about that one? You comfortable here? I need to go on. I mean, it's a tough thing to wrap your head around, isn't it? And I have to say, I get it, but I don't think that we should feel alone because even the people who were closest to Jesus, right then and there, front row, had a difficult time believing it themselves. The Bible says that it was just after sunrise on Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to the tomb and finished preparing Jesus' body for burial. And I'm sure as they were walking along, they were asking why. Why would God take him at such a young age from them? But as they get to the tomb, they see that the stone has been rolled away and the body of Jesus is gone. Now here's the kicker. They have no clue what happened. None. It never even occurs to them that Jesus may have risen from the dead. They just assume right off the bat that somebody stole the body. Until two angels appear to them and say, Hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And they evidently had this blank stare on their face because he goes on and he says, okay, remember he told you that he was going to be crucified and that then on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Any of this like ringing a bell for you? And then all of a sudden on verse uh, verse 8 of chapter 24 it says, and then they remembered his words. 
Yeah, no joke. Two angels just sat there and gave you the whole thing. So after the angel tells them everything, they run off and find the other disciples. But as the Marys are telling the story about everything that has happened, everything that they have seen, none of the disciples believed what they were telling them. It seems that Jesus' own disciples were having a hard time believing it as well. In fact, the Bible says it sounded like a bunch of nonsense to them. Does it sound like nonsense to you? This age-old story, Jesus, Son of God, Jesus dies on a cross, Jesus raises from the dead. Is it all just too hard to believe? How does all of that fit into your faith structure that you're building? It isn't until Jesus himself appears to the disciples in the flesh that everything comes together for them. And they finally get it. They finally believe. And Doubting Thomas, as he's come to be known as, puts it best when, after touching the nail marks in his hands and feet, and puts his hand into the side where the sword pierced the side of Jesus, after Jesus appears to him in the flesh, after everything is proven to him and served up to him on a silver platter, he suddenly gets it and says, oh, that's Jesus. He's standing right in front of me. And when he gets it, he understands the impact of it, and he drops to his knees and says, my Lord, my God. But Jesus responds by saying something so incredibly profound to me. Because Jesus says, Exactly what I'm thinking. You believe because you have seen me. But blessed is the one who has not seen me and yet still believes. It's like he's talking right at you 2,000 years ago. It's like he looks right at you this morning and is talking to you, isn't it? I mean, what about those of us who haven't seen? I'd like to have an angel appear to me. I'd like to have Jesus standing in the flesh in front of me that I could touch his nail-pierced hands. Heck, I'd believe then too. Ask yourself, do I have confidence in what I hope for? And can I believe in that which I do not see? That which I cannot prove. Take a good hard look and ask yourself, what do I really believe about this story that begins with God creating the world and ends up with him having to send his son into the world to die on a cross in order to save it? What kind of plan is that? But that's where faith begins. That is the crossroads of the Christian faith. That's main and main. When we face the tough questions head on and we're forced to make a decision about what it is that we believe. We don't get a pass on this. One way or another, we make a choice about what is our belief in that. And when we do that, 
then that becomes a faith that is yours. Not your parents, not your husbands or your wives. You're not doing it for your kids. It's a faith that is yours. You own it. You built it. And we can build a faith that to some may seem really foolish. (laughs) But the truth is that it's actually wiser and more intelligent than anything that I can read in any textbook. While I am sometimes embarrassed to call myself a Christian because of all the things that are done in the name of Christianity, I am never embarrassed to call myself a follower of Jesus Christ. When I cut through the fog of all of my doubts, Jesus is the only thing that I have found in this world that makes any sense to me. Everything he says, everything he did rings true. And I have to say, I believe. I believe. The resurrection of Jesus wakes up the spiritual side of your life. And your worldview gets bigger because it goes beyond that which you can see and touch and hear because all of a sudden your worldview becomes otherworldly. And you realize that if Jesus really did raise from the dead, all of a sudden you get it. Anything is possible. And you go, ah. There really is something more beyond this daily grind, beyond this flesh and blood. Can you find the faith inside of you to believe in a Jesus who is alive? We all put our faith in something, but the question is, what will you put your faith in? Faith and reason are not incompatible. If you think about it, faith and reason have a whole lot in common. They may go about it two very different ways, but they are both trying to just make sense out of this life that we don't have all the answers for. I have myself made a leap of faith into what is considered by today's scientific standards irrational, and unreasonable. However, I do not feel like my faith is without reason. I have studied it. I have tested it. I have worked through the issues. I've listened open-mindedly to both sides of the debate. And it is, my faith is grounded on historical and archaeological truth. Where the Bible speaks on history, history has always confirmed it. Where it speaks about geography, geography has always verified it. Where archaeology has tested it, it is always shown to be accurate time after time. In every instance where the Bible can be tested, it is always tested true. What is your source for your truth? What will you bank your life on? I have worked really hard over the last 25 years or so to build this faith that I have today. And it wasn't easy. But let me tell you the beliefs that I have built my faith on. 
I believe that in the beginning, God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth and lived among us as one of us. I believe that while he was here, he changed the course of history and turned religion upside down. I believe he lived a perfect life until he was killed on a cross for my sin. I believe that on that cross, he conquered sin and he offers forgiveness and grace to all of us as a free gift. And all we have to do is accept it. I believe that he was buried in a tomb and that a stone was rolled in front of the tomb and a soldier stood guard to make sure that he didn't get out. And I believe that on the third day, he did. I believe that on the third day, he rose again. I believe in a Jesus who is alive and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And he wants very much to be in your life. I know the unimaginable is true and not because of any scientific theory or because anybody's been able to prove it to me. I know he lives because I have experienced God firsthand in my life. And by faith, I know. That stone was rolled away, and because of that, I have made my choice. I'm placing my life in the hands of a Jesus who conquered death because I believe. Lord, help my unbelief.